Pandemic puppies helped Canadians through hard times. Lockdowns were lonely and hundreds of thousands of people coped by getting pets. You heard that right. Hundreds of thousands of people have become first-time pet owners since the pandemic. But owning a pet, especially a dog, is a big financial commitment. Estimates vary, but it costs around $4,000 a year, on average. And with the price of pet food and supplies rising faster than inflation, more owners are struggling to afford their COVID companions. Welcome to Stress Test, a personal finance podcast for millennials and Gen Z. I'm Rob Carrick, personal finance columnist at The Globe and Mail. And I'm Roma Luzio, personal finance editor at The Globe. People have always gotten pets. That's not new. Dogs, cats, birds, lizards, guinea pigs. But what is new is that millennials have emerged as a pet-loving generation. We know from our own coverage and from data that's out there that they're the most prevalent pet-owning demographic out there. Rob, would you have gotten a dog in your 20s? I would not have. And a couple of reasons. One, I grew up with dogs, so I knew the responsibility that was involved. And two, I was on the go as a young, young man, uh, enjoying a social life, building my career. And I wasn't home a lot. And having a dog uh, requires you to be on site a lot. Um, Roma, what are you noticing about pets in your, in your group of friends and contacts and family? Are, are you noticing more ownership and more costs? I definitely live in a pet-heavy area, and uh, we are absolutely swarming with dogs. I love dogs. My son has been begging us for years and years and years to get one. What I'm noticing is that there are a lot more of them and that the costs, from what I'm hearing, have never been higher we had a dog for 16 years, and he died a couple of years ago, and uh, we really miss him. Um, and he, in his early years, needed some hip surgery. And this goes back probably 20 years ago. And I remember that the cost was so exceptional that our credit card company called us to say, uh, we noticed this cost from this veterinary clinic. Is that real? And we had to say, yeah, sorry, it's real. After the break, we'll hear from a humane society in a small Ontario city where there's been a flood of people surrendering their dogs. Sean Mori is the executive director of the Peterborough Humane Society. Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. Excited to have you on Stress Test. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you tell me a bit about the current condition of the Humane Society in Peterborough? What's going on there? Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, obviously like many other shelters in not only Ontario, but I think throughout the entire country, we're in kind of what we would classify as a perfect storm right now, right? With animals, the amount of animals that we're seeing in our care, a slowdown in adoptions. And uh, and so your length of stay within the shelter system is, is significantly larger and longer than it has been in the past. Um, and I think that's that's to do with a myriad of things, but specifically, you know, obviously access and ability to care for animals in these, in these times. Mm-hmm. How many people do you see walking away from animals now, um, leaving them in your care? 
Yeah, it's it's grown exponentially, especially the last number of months. I would say within the last six eight months, we've seen uh, you know staggering numbers of, of folks just calling about requiring to surrender an animal or uh, identifying just an inability to care for them. Uh, you know, the numbers have been a, a lot larger than they have been in in previous years, without question. Uh, so, as an example, we've we've seen over eight hundred animals either surrendered or or brought into our care this year alone, just for uh, just because of the purposes of uh, inability to care for those animals moving forward, which, like I said, it's, it's a staggering increase from what we've seen in years past. We've seen probably at least, we get at least seven to 10 calls a day from individuals that are looking to surrender animals into our care. When did you start to see this shift? We kind of, inti- well, we anticipated a bit of a shift when COVID first began and you kind of knew that, you know, with the big boom in demand for animals that there was going to be a drop-off point at some point. So it really started to take shape, I would say probably around September, October of last year. And then from this point forward, like as an example, we moved into our new animal care center in January of this year and we moved 94 animals into our care. Five years ago, in the middle of January, we would have maybe 20, 30 animals in our care at absolute max. Uh, so that just goes to show the capacity issues that we have. And so basically, it's been we've been full uh, for for the better part of 11 months now. Walk me through how often, on average, finances are one of the main reasons for uh, them looking to potentially give up their pet. Sure. Yeah, I would say with without question, it would be eighty to ninety percent of the issue. Um, you know, eighty percent, eighty to ninety percent of the calls that we're getting have a financial component surrounding them. Having to downsize from their current home because they've got a, you know, they, they weren't able to pay either the rent or the mortgage associated with that home. Uh, having to take on a second job, so not being home enough for that animal, is another big one that we're that we're hearing uh, from our community. But then also just time and ability. It also could mean a change in uh, a change in jobs, right? Going from you know predominantly being remote to go now having to go back into the office or remote to hybrid, and that inability to spend that amount of time with that animal, um, you know, their job changing and having to go, you know, get back into travel where they weren't in travel cases before, or you know, having to travel for their job where they could do a lot of it behind a screen uh, for those uh, for those two years. How much does it cost per year to own a dog, you know, on average, let's say a mid-sized dog? Sure. Yeah, you would probably want to budget yourself around five to $6,000 a year for, for general care of that, of that dog. Can you give me any sense in terms of how much costs have risen in recent years? For example, let's talk about um, dog food. How much has that increased? Yeah, quite a bit. Uh, yeah, absolutely exponentially. So, and that is again with the weather question, a supply and demand uh, concern and an issue. I don't think we've ever fully, and, and some of our food partners have never really fully recovered from from COVID and the and the production issues associated with that. Um, Cost to you know say ship I'll use uh, I'll use wet food as an example so wet dog and cat food some of the the ingredients and more so the the tinning process and the materials for tin come from overseas so to have that shipment come in with those materials then to put into uh, put the food into 
those costs have increased exponentially. And then the demand for food during COVID and obviously through that big boom of animals coming in, um, that increased substantially. So the, the rate of production had to be increased. The rate of labor had to be increased. So all of those costs get baked back into the end product. And that's why we're seeing those, those costs increased. Um, you know, you would be in a position, say a year to two years ago where you could get a, a bag of dog food on, I'll just use a bag of dog food as an example. Um, you know, you could probably get one for, you know, 60, $70 for a big, big bag of dog food. That same dog food today is running anywhere between 90 to $120 for that bag. Okay. What are the other major costs outside of food? I'm thinking vet bills. Uh, the people that I've spoken with have all noted a, a very substantial increase in that. Uh, would that be a secondary or third sort of up there in terms of costs for owning a dog? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a huge, huge element that uh, folks that are either looking to adopt or have a companion animal today are facing themselves with, without question. Um, cost of vet care has uh, gone up, you know, substantially. And I, I couldn't even put a figure to it, but it's it's gone up exponentially. And that has a large amount to do with, again, just production. Uh, and obviously their um, cost of meds and vaccinations have gone up. You know, obviously the demand on our veterinarians have gone up exponentially. The number of animal, number of veterinarians that are currently in practice and the demand for their services uh, continues to skyrocket. So those prices all it all comes back down to the end user, which is, which is the owner of a pet, right? So it's a, it's a tough thing. And without question, vet care and access to care um, is a big, big deterrent and, and, and sticking point and really a, a stressor on, uh, on homeowners and, and pet owners specifically these days, for sure. Do you think that people underestimate the cost of caring for a dog? Absolutely. You know, and I wouldn't say that that's just a blanket statement for everybody, but it is without question, I think, something that uh, folks don't really know the true uh, costs associated to owning a pet until, and specifically a dog, uh, until they're in it or until they go through and do their research. Uh, a big thing without question is, is stuff that we're trying to really provide out to our, to our customers and our community is really is to understand the breed of, of animal that you're going to take home. Um, you know, recognizing what they're going to need from a socialization perspective, what kind of attention are you going to have to spend with them? How many times are, how, are they going to be active? Are they going to be couch potatoes? Uh, is there any potential like long-term illness uh, concerns that are going to be associated with that? You know, what is the the potential for large medical bills down the line? Things like that that folks really may not have common knowledge of. Uh, so education on that component is a big piece of our business, without question. Um, because yeah, you you can get yourself into a position where you you know, adopt or or buy. There's 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 still that situation where folks are buying animals off of you know third party sites and whatever, but having no idea because it's just a a cute fluffy puppy or something that looks really cute, uh, but not really truly understanding what the uh, what the needs of that animal are going to be when it's six months old, when it's a year old, when it's five years old, right? Sean, if someone has a dog they're struggling to afford, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the big thing is with is reach out to either your local humane society or uh, or rescue partner and just have a conversation with them about, um, you know, 
is there options? Are there things that can be done? You know, there's there's a lot of uh, folks right now, and, and specifically a lot of um, a lot of opportunities to provide pet food banks. So there's there's opportunities and resources to provide either you know subsidized or free food and and medical care, wellness opportunities, and stuff like that. So depending on where you are in your local region, um, you know, having the ability to just do some research, see if there is some low cost or affordable or accessible opportunities to support in those regards. Um, you know, and then there's also all opportunities to just have conversations with folks. And if there are rolling on some hard times and just need a little bit of support and assistance, you know, there's, there's, there's folks that can do that as well. After the break, we hear from a guest who got more than she bargained for when she got her pandemic puppy. Uh, my name's Erin. I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba right now, and I am 26. Erin was a full-time student studying acting in Toronto when the pandemic lockdowns hit in spring 2020. I was living in Toronto. I was living with roommates, and it was COVID, so I thought, why not, you know, get a dog? Because I I had a dog before, and I, I wanted another one, and it was like the perfect time because school was like, I don't know, like everyone was out of school. So I was home all the time. So I was like, oh, I have the time to take care of a, you know, a puppy and, you know, raise him. And yeah. Buying the dog was a spontaneous decision. She found him on Kijiji. I was like on a, like a rehoming page and I posted, I'm looking for a small dog because I didn't care really what breed it was at the time. Like I just wanted a dog. I didn't really like look into the research or whatever. So I, I just posted it and then some person like, commented and said I have a dog that I'm looking to rehome and I said okay I'm I'm coming like to see the dog and I went to see it and then and then I took him home right when I right when I saw the dog he's like a Pomeranian corgi mix so it's like easy on the eyes <laughs> and he was yeah he's really cute he came up to me he was like kissing me but yeah I was like oh gosh I'm in for a I'm in for a long haul because this guy's he's a little bit crazy Erin named her new six-month-old puppy Mozzie the first few days were were okay. They were really hard, actually, because um, I didn't realize how many problems come with. I mean, I think it's part of his genetics and also um, his breed, but like how hard his breed and you know his and where he came from. Like, if he came from a backyard breeder, he would he didn't have the best behavior. So he had separation anxiety. It was really bad. Like whenever I would leave, he would pee in his crate. He would like get really distressed, and um, he wasn't that socialized. So with other dogs, he was he was aggressive and sometimes with people as well. Like if people would try to pet him, he was, he was kind of aggressive. Not so much right at when I got him, but like a month or two or later, it like started showing up more and more. So lots of bad behaviors. And a lot of unexpected upfront expenses. Um, he wasn't neutered. So I had to get him neutered, which was like ridiculous like it was like nine hundred dollars vaccination his he didn't have any vaccinations the person before me never like really took care of him like they didn't get him any vaccinations he was supposed to have like his like third vaccinations at this point because he was already six months he should have had them um so i had to get him all his vaccinations like boosters and everything that was like a couple another hundred and then um i got him into training classes two different ones that was like almost two thousand the dog itself, he was like 400. So it was quite a lot of money. There was a lot of things. I think that's everything. And then just like the vet visits every uh, year for his vaccinations. Training was a major expense. It became clear Mozzie needed the help when Erin started leaving her home for longer stretches of time. I started doing training with a company. So I was like gone for like eight hours. And yeah, he was he was going insane. Like he didn't like that. So 
I got a note on my door saying that, yeah, like it was practically like a noise complaint. And after that, I put him in training, like right after that, so I waited like a year and a half. And then after that was like the last straw. So I put him in training. And then after that, I was able to leave. Like I just did it consistently and it got better and better. Still, she occasionally questioned her decision to get a dog. There was like sometimes where I think, oh my God, like I think it would be really like much easier to rehome him because he's, yeah, but I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'd rather like try my hardest to, you know, get him help. Even now, sometimes I'm like, oh, he's a lot of work because he doesn't get like when I have people over, he's aggressive, like, and I'm having a baby and he's, you know what I mean? Like he's aggressive. He's not the best behaved dog, like even with all that training. So, but I, it's, I just couldn't do it. There's always ways to manage it. So. Erin has gone through a number of major life changes since she got Mozzie. She met her husband, moved to Winnipeg, bought a house, and started working in childcare. But the changes and unexpected financial hits haven't affected her desire to have a dog. We got another dog just like a couple months ago. And again, I was like, oh, he's he's small. He's not going to be that much money. And then I ended up getting him training. And then the food, like both of them eating, is like twice as much money I didn't realize so yeah like now we're having to buy the huge bags so yeah it's a lot of money at first but then it's still a lot of money after her new dog's name is wishbone this time she's more prepared financially I have like an emergency savings account for the dog it's like after I get paid it's just in my checkings and then it keeps collecting and then like after a while I'll put like a thousand or a thousand five hundred in there and then so like if we have a, a high expense for the dogs that that's where it's going to be coming from wishbone is from animal services he also has behavior problems. That makes it hard for Erin to find dog walkers or people to care for her pets if she wants to go away. Travel is especially difficult. But the positives of having her dogs outweigh the challenges. Just like love, affection, um, someone always being there for me, um, having company. I don't know, I couldn't live without them. I couldn't live without dogs. So I, once you have a dog, it's hard to like live without them. They're just, they bring so much joy into your house for the most part. That said, she has some advice for any potential dog owners out there. I would say do more um, research on the breeds, like what kind of dog fits into your lifestyle. But also, if you're ready to take on like a, a hard case, do it because there's a lot of dogs that, you know, get euthanized and need need homes. So I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, I'm, I'm glad. I'm very glad I got Mozzie, but at the same time, I should have done more research on like the different kinds of breeds and their characteristics and their genetics and where the dogs come from. Do a little more research about that and just be prepared to spend a lot more money than, than you think you're going to spend. Our next guest did plenty of research before she got her dog, but that doesn't mean it was an easy road. Uh, my name's Preston. I am turning 21 in a month and I live in Ottawa right now. I'm a student at Carleton University. Preston got her dog, Phineas, last spring. So it's only been six months with him. Like he's a wire-haired dash hound, so a little wiener dog, but with a beard. Uh, he has Benjamin Button syndrome. Everyone thinks he's old, but he's really, you know, nine months, ten months old. So definitely it was not a spontaneous decision. So I had researched breeders during COVID, like the first year of COVID, and I had signed up to stay on top of their litters so that when the time came, when I could financially support a dog, I would already have the information of litters that were available for me to reach out. So it was spontaneous in the sense that um, I saw a litter was available and I looked at my bank account and said, I can do this now and immediately emailed and said, please let me put down a deposit and then told everyone in my life and said, 
by the way, I'm getting a puppy. Um, to which everyone was shocked, but not shocked. Dogs play a big role in Preston's life. Everyone in my life was supportive, but not necessarily encouraging. I had a lot of people telling me reasons why it was a bad idea. But at the end of the day, no one was judging me or shaming me. They all understood why I wanted a dog. And they all also understood that I wasn't going to let the dog down. I think everyone was kind of just like, you're young. You're going to miss out on fun opportunities for you. Everyone always talked about traveling. I was like, I don't travel. Any Have you seen me travel? It's not like a dog is going to change my travel habits. I haven't left the country in like four years. So there were a lot of just, you're young, but not, um, you're not ready for this. She chose a small dog because she lives in a smallish apartment with three other people. Up front for Phineas, I paid all in all 2200 I knew it was going to be more costly than adoption. But as a student, rescue agencies often won't let students adopt. If you're living in an apartment, if you don't have a fenced in backyard, and rightfully so, I would agree with that. It takes a certain amount of resources for, for adoption agencies to feel comfortable letting their dogs go to that home. So I knew I had to go to a breeder because I was a student and because of the sort of living space that I had. She decided to adopt a puppy instead of an adult dog, even though she knew it was a less affordable option. Yeah, a, a puppy for sure is way more expensive than an adult dog. I knew that going into it. It's also, this is not my first rodeo in terms of dogs. It is my first rodeo in terms of puppy. So I've spent a lot of money on it. I've spent a lot of money on it. Just owning the dog for six months, I've spent... $6,600 so far. The largest one-time things were practically all vet-related. They were, you know, the vaccines, which aren't, they're not that much individually, but if you are someone who opts in for the optional ones, which I would like to be able to take my dog out into like bushes, sort of Northern Ontario, where my family lives and not have to worry about ticks and whatnot. So I, ha I had to opt into those other things. Uh, they add up. And then um, the neuter surgery, again, optional. You don't have to get your dog neutered or spayed. I did want to do that. And that was by far the most expensive cost for him so far. But otherwise, yeah, the, the whole crate thing and even a, a carrier for him because he is so small um, for driving in the car, those all accumulate. Like the cost of food for him, I got a small dog because I knew they were cheaper in the long run less food and less time spent exercising and less time is money because the more time I can spend working to make the money to pay for his food is better. So because it was, yes, my, my home situation would fit a small dog, but it fits a student budget is primarily the reason why I got a small dog. So his food I've spent like nothing on in the past six months. There's very little money I've spent on the food. It's really the vet bills that add up. The biggest cost though has been her time. Preston was a full-time student with a part-time remote job when she got Phineas. But she quit that job two and a half months after she brought him home. When you get a puppy, specifically, lots of human moms are going to come for you for this. It is very similar to the sleep deprivation that you have when you are a parent of an actual human child. Uh, you don't get a lot of sleep in the night, and you are also constantly on edge because you're frustrated with the dog, but you're not taking it out on the dog because what does the dog know? Uh, but you just wish that they understood what you were saying because they're peeing everywhere or they're trying to eat your shoes. And so the energy that you have left 
to then go to your nine to five is a lot smaller. It is not shocking to me now in hindsight that I quit my job two and a half months after getting a puppy. I did not have it in me anymore to go to school, work, and be a mother of a child. <laughs> like, it sounds dramatic. I know. I know lots of people who make fun of like fur parents, but a puppy is so much work. So if you don't have the energy or the mental strength, I don't have, I clearly did not have the mental strength to both go to work and school and have a puppy. I'm lucky enough that I had enough savings from my work previously to be able to sustain the fact that I could quit. But if you don't have enough disposable money, you might run into an issue where you you are struggling as a as a human being with mental health or hygiene or whatnot if you cannot quit your work and you've taken on a dependent. It's it's a lot. I don't know how people work and raise a puppy. Now that Phineas is almost one, she feels ready to work again. She also has advice for potential dog owners. For young people who are considering getting a dog, breed really does matter. I really urge people to not just go with a breed that they think looks cute. Uh, if you have grown up around certain breeds, unless those dogs were really bad and you couldn't handle them, I suggest getting similar breeds because you have experience with them. Uh, if you feel comfortable with any breed, I do suggest getting a smaller dog. I've always had bigger dogs. I love bigger dogs. I never thought I could love a smaller dog. Um, but they really can have personalities just like, you know, my dog thinks he's the size of a German Shepherd. He's not, but he thinks it because I treat him like one. So I do suggest, you know, go easy on your wallet. You're going to love the dog nonetheless. Get a small dog. It's cheaper <laughs> um, than a Bernese Mountain dog. So get a get a lower energy dog. Um, don't get a Belgian Malinois. You can't, you cannot have a Belgian Malinois as a student. You don't have the time for that sort of dog. You know, you can't get an Australian Shepherd as a student. You do not have the time, probably also not the backyard for that sort of dog. More importantly, she encourages people to consider their lifestyle. While I, like everyone, love adventure, I am not necessarily a, uh, a bucket list sort of person. I'm perfectly content spending my days at home. Uh, I like my routine. I like relaxing. I don't often travel, probably because I know financially that adds up in the long run. I know lots of people my age who like to go on trips every year. They save up their money from their part-time jobs, and then they splurge. I would argue that in the next five years, if someone keeps that up, they spend the same amount of money as they would having spent it on a dog. It really depends on the lifestyle that you lead and want to lead and are capable of leading. A dog at 20 for someone who likes to go out every weekend uh, is probably not a very good idea. <laughs> One will come at the expense of the other, and then the cost of the dog goes up. So if you are not giving, especially a puppy, enough time and attention that it needs to be able to foster good habits with that dog, that dog will likely have issues like destruction. So now you're replacing your shoes or you're taking them to the vet because they've chipped their tooth. People are very quick to have a notion of what youth is supposed to look like, young adulthood is supposed to look like. But if they want me to spend my money on like a random trip to Hawaii or going out to the bar every weekend, I don't know why it's any different for me to spend my money on a dog and stay home. I assume moving forward that I'm not just going to wake up one day and decide I suddenly have different spending habits. <laughs> so it's really expensive. I'm not trying to minimize the cost of having a dog, 
And I certainly am not trying to sound like Kim Kardashian saying, just get up and work. Anyone can do it. But if you want to get a dog, I just hope that you know genuinely that you have the proper habits to be able to sustain that choice and, you know, not neglect the dog in any way. And also to not neglect yourself in the process. You should be able to care for both at the same time. We know that getting a dog is like adding another member to your family. The cost can be worth it, but you've really got to think it through before you adopt or buy. You need to make a detailed plan, both for your upfront and ongoing costs and your time. For today's takeaways, we turn to Don Hutton, owner of Running Dogs Training and Behavior, and asked him some questions that aspiring first-time dog owners should think about. One, should I get a puppy or an older dog? I think both are really valuable. I've, I've adopted a lot of uh, a lot of senior dogs and and found that to just be so so wonderful and and fun and also really easy in a lot of ways. Um, you know, senior dogs kind of want to like lounge around a lot of times. Um, the younger the dog, you know, the more you're going to have to really step it up in terms of like meeting their needs, getting them out there for all that that fresh air and exercise, and and they're also a little more volatile sometimes. You know, usually the the hardest time in your life with a dog, if you do get a puppy, is going to be sort of in that close to a year to three years is usually where they're um, just like an adolescent human. You know, this is usually where they're, they're stirring things up more than more than other times in their lives. Two, big dog or small dog? In general, like smaller dogs are going to be way more affordable to feed. It could be six times more expensive to feed a, a larger dog uh, than it would be to, to feed a small dog. So, so there's, there's quite a bit of range there. And, and there's People with strong feelings about, oh, I'm a big dog person. And I, I mean, I would have said that years ago. Um, but there are a load of conveniences to having a dog that is, you know, less than 30 pounds. And, um, you know, I have this little Shih Tzu. I also have, uh, you know, an 80 pound Husky. I used to have another Husky. And like, just getting out of town sometimes. I was like, sorry, I can't give you a ride. I got two Huskies in the back of the car. It was really inconvenient. And finally, pet insurance. Yay or nay? I mean, I do have insurance and I, and I, uh, you know, shelled out for, for, you know, a pretty uh, higher quality uh, package and whatnot. In short, I think I'd, I'd, I'd recommend it. Even a basic package, you know, that's going to may just really save the day, you know, because uh, it's a terrible choice to have to face to say, I don't have the money to extend your life right now. That's a horrible place to be. And that's really what insurance can save you from. Thank you for listening to Stress Test. This show was produced by Kyle Fulton, Anna Stafford and Emily Jackson. Our executive producer is Alicia Sawney. Thank you to Sean, Aaron, and Preston for joining us. You can find Stress Test wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating and share it with your friends. Next up on Stress Test, we'll dig into the top personal finance stories of 2023 and talk to the Globe journalists who wrote them. We'll talk $100,000 salaries, crushed hopes for lower mortgage rates, and electric vehicles. And we'll look at why these stories will continue to matter next year. Until then, find us at theglobeandmail.com. Thanks for listening.